Hey everybody, Christina Kerf here, and I'm really excited to be picking the winner of our giveaway. I'm actually in Tampa staying with Laura and her kids and my kids during this quarantine. Since as many as you know, my husband is military and uh, we have to be apart for his work. And so it's been kind of nuts, but her and I are getting ready to record a bunch more episodes together, which we're really looking forward to. We have so many amazing reviews. Thank you all so much for the five-star reviews. You guys are the best. Over 41 ratings. We appreciate every single one. I'm going to read some of them to you, and I'll let you know um, the winner, which we picked randomly, who's going to win um, the $50 Whole Foods gift card and a signed copy of my new book, Made Simple. Christina and Laura make, or Laura, <laughs> make you feel like you're sitting in their kitchen table with talking to friends. They're open and honest and fun and real. I've always taken a nugget from listening to each podcast. I'm a fan. Thank you so much. Walks for smiles. I heart band five four eight seven says it's the real deal. I've always been a huge fan of Christina and her work, and this podcast is no exception. I love her and Laura's perspectives on all things health and wellness, and they aren't afraid to talk about subjects that other people aren't willing to talk about. So far, the interviews have been fantastic, and I can't wait for new episodes. Thank you so much, Miss um, Mcgee says you should be listening to this. I have been sharing this podcast with all my friends. Thank you for the honesty and the information. As I've gone through my own journey, it was has often felt lonely. To hear your stories, insights, and laughter brightens my day. Thank you guys so much. Kel Chom says, love these ladies. I love listening to these ladies. I love they are sisters, so they are comfortable talking to each other about topics others find a bit raw or sensitive. Keep up the amazing work, and I love following Christine on her blog, Castaway Kitchen. Thank you guys so much, all of you. It means so much to, much to us. We are loving this podcast and creating it for you. It means It means a lot. So... Our winner, winner chicken dinner, is Aleda Polanco, and her review is BodyWise Podcast number one. Great first podcast can so relate to so much of what was said, especially the body image stuff. I too come from a Cuban family, and oh boy, are they judgy when it comes to external appearances of women, especially those in their own family. Looking forward to more informative wisdom from you both. Thank you so much, Aleda. Please send us an email um, at bodywisepodcast, bodywise at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me via my Instagram at the Castaway Kitchen, and we will send you your prize. Okay, now on to the episode. And please remember to continue to listen and continue to leave reviews if you haven't yet. Um, it really helps the podcast. And always, we're open to feedback. You can always email us or send me a message and let us know what you want us to talk about next. Love you guys. This is the BodyWise Podcast. Thank you for joining Laura and Christina for another intimate exploration of collective wisdom. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to BodyWise Podcast. I'm really excited about our guest today. I'll be interviewing Elle Russ. She's the author of Confident as Fuck, best-selling, and the best-selling health book, The Paleo Thyroid Solution, which has helped thousands of people around the world reclaim their health. Elle is also a TV film writer and the host of the popular Primal Blueprint podcast started by New York Times bestseller um, and author Mark Sisson that we've also had on the show. At the age of 22, Elle sustained an injury that left both of her hands and arms permanently disabled. This life-altering physical limitation led to a multitude of emotional and physiological pitfalls that she had to navigate in order to retain and refine her formidable sense of self-esteem and confidence and become confident as fuck. You can learn more about Elle on her website, lrust.com. And today we're going to talk all about being confident, being a badass, like, and just owning it. And I love Elle's personality and her energy and her light. And so Elle, thanks for coming on the show. 
Ah, oh, thank you so much. So happy to talk about all of this stuff. Yeah, I, I've been reading the book and I really love it. But before we get into your new book, Confident as Fuck, I want to talk a little bit about your first book, which has been this you know amazing bestseller, Paleothyroid Solution, because you you have thyroid issues. You you know you've navigated that yourself, and you took to writing this amazing book. So how did you like say, I have enough to say about this. What I have to say is important. I'm going to write this book on thyroid, although I'm not an MD, you know, or whatever. Like, you know how it is today on the internet. Everyone's like, what are your credentials? You know? Mm -hmm. Well, let me start off by saying that the best-selling thyroid books have been written by patients, actually, not doctors. And I'm not surprised because we know what it's like. And because the medical community is steeped in 40-year-old outdated protocols and most of them are uninformed, that is why the patients are the best sellers because we've often had to navigate it and figure out figure it out ourselves, which is the case for um, myself. And the only other two books I really recommend on thyroid health are one is written by Janie Botharp called Stop the Thyroid Madness, and the other is written by Paul Robinson called Recovering with T3. So these are the only two other authors that I even trust, and I've read every thyroid book out there. Both of those authors helped me help myself and save my life, actually. So here's the thing is that I had solved my own thyroid issues twice in a decade. I had two bouts. The first bout, I solved myself. I solved it myself. I went to two dozen endocrinologists, doctors, all sorts of people in LA. I live in the, a major city with incredible doctors, some of the best in the world. And I could not find anybody who knew what they were talking about. And they led me in the wrong directions. I was misdiagnosed. I was... Uh, you know, everyone kept telling me, oh, it's not your thyroid. So I kept looking in all these other places. Turns out they never tested me correctly from the very beginning. At the time, there weren't podcasts. There was no such thing as paleo. I couldn't find anything related to this. And the only thing that I could find was patient-to-patient forums where people like me who had taken their free time to help other people. So some of these fellow patients really kind of gave me some advice that led me down the right path. So I had already solved my my thyroid problems. Uh, twice in 10 years, I was on my own. And when I say that, I mean, I had to be my own doctor. I literally ordered my own thyroid hormones. I would use doctors to get blood work and I did it myself. I shouldn't have had to, Christina, right? Like I live in LA. Like I shouldn't have had to be my own doctor. It's a very scary proposition. I don't have a science degree. I have a philosophy degree. Are you kidding me? Like it's the last thing I wanted to deal with. But here's the thing. While it's based in science, It's very simple to understand when you really get into it. And so thankfully, I was able to save myself. But what would happen was is that I kept getting approached by strangers and people all over the place who would tell me their thyroid problems. Like I wouldn't even mention anything about thyroid and someone would bring it up. And then I would be like, oh, well, have you gotten this test? You know, give me a call. Let me look at what your doctor tested, da, da, da. And this would happen, like someone would come to me and I'd be like, all right, well, you need to get these tests. Why wasn't this tested? And then they go back to the doctor and then all of those tests are totally screwed. And the doctor's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I should have tested this. Yeah, you should have. Yeah, you should have. Right. Why am I telling your patient what you should have known? Okay. And so this kept happening. And it would be like, I would be in on the island of Hawaii, like on a hike and some random stranger. I mean, it would just kept coming up, you know? And so years ago, a friend of mine, when I solved the first bout said, you know, you should really write a book on it. And while I am a writer and was already a writer in the entertainment industry, I kind of tossed it off. I was like, ah, yeah, maybe someday down the road, like whatever, you know. But then when I met Mark Sisson seven years ago and I started to work for him, I had gotten over my second bout of hypothyroidism, which was a reverse T3 problem, but I still hadn't been able to lose the weight. I was still quite inflamed. And it was still because I was on the wrong eating paradigm. I was still in the old days. I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing chronic cardio. I was, you know, exercising way above my maximum heart rate or, you know, like average heart rate there all the time. And so basically 
I looked at Mark and his wife and I was like, these guys are like 20 plus years older than me and they look better than me and they're not working out all the time and they're not stressed about food. Maybe I should read Mark's book, The Primal Blueprint. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should read the guy's book who I'm working for. It took me like eight months working for him where I was like, because here's the thing, I had read all these health books. So when I flipped through the book initially, I was like, yeah, 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 okay, don't eat canola oil, whatever, got it, same thing. Well, I was wrong. I didn't really realize what paleo primal meant. I didn't understand the paradigm. So when I really got into it, and at that time, then I started to, I became the fifth primal health coach in the world. Mark had started a primal health coach program and I was like the beta tester for it. And Brad and I would work on questions together. So I was one of the first people and I really started to understand it deeply. The connection that I made that no one else did was between paleo primal ancestral health and thyroid and why they go hand in hand. And because before that, again, like I said, Janie Bothorpe wrote a great book, so did Paul Robinson. I was like, what can I say that kind of hasn't been said, you know, until I discovered this connection. Now, some people think, oh, the paleo thyroid solution, I get it. You get fat when you're hypothyroid. So then when you get fixed, then this is how you lose that excess weight that you carried. That is part of it, but that's not really the crux of it. What it is, is that a high fat, moderate protein, low carb paradigm is really the ultimate in blood glucose management and adrenal management. And those two things go hand in hand with thyroid hormones. So you could potentially run into a problem someday if you're on thyroid hormones and you're doing well, but you're still on the wrong paradigm, then those thyroid hormones that you're taking are not going to be metabolized properly. And the same goes for someone who's got a great working thyroid system too. So this is for everybody, right? It's like, hey, if you don't have problems now, optimize this shiz. Right, so you don't right? get them. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, get, don't walk into one because they're so prevalent. I mean, let me just drop this. 200 plus million people in the world have it. 60% are undiagnosed. In America, the number one prescription is only one type of thyroid hormone that is sold. And 23 to 25 plus million Americans have this issue. So this is just a global epidemic in general. And women are disproportionately affected by this. Mm -hmm. So even though men haven't, they can be discounted because they're guys and people don't think about the thyroid. So the thyroid is our master gland. It doesn't matter who you are. If it's not optimized or the hormones are getting to where they need to go, then your metabolism is going to suck. And then your brain's going to be deficient and all sorts of other problems. So when I made this connection, that's the big aha moment. And then I was really compelled to write it. And when I approached Mark with it, he said, you know, what's funny. I've been wanting to do a thyroid book. And I said, well, bingo, jingo, jango. Let's get, <laughs> let's, do it. let's, let's do it. And I'm so grateful to him for doing that. It's changed so many people's lives. And so also too, I'm one of the only one of two authors maybe, but one of the only authors that's really been on T3 only, which is sort of the last resort for thyroid hormone treatment. So I can speak from that experience where some of the authors can't because they've only ever been optimized on one type of thyroid hormone. And I have really been on both major types. So again, it's yes, it's about like, how do I lose the weight and get this stuff to work right? But the book's also about, hey, here's how to dose this stuff if you need to. There's a great Q&A in the back of the book with Dr. Forsman. So there is a wonderful integrative functional medicine doctor who's on that book as a consultant. And the Q&A in the back of my book is absolutely critical to read as well. And again, my my personal story of it, you know, when I was writing it, I had some TMI moments in there. And I remember the editor said, hey, isn't this TMI? And I said, you know what? It might be, but that's okay because people need to know how horrible life was. They need to understand this so they get it because that and that's what I get a lot of the time is when I'm talking about the subject of thyroid and I talk about how I felt and the symptoms I had over 40, you know, like over 30 plus symptoms and there's maybe 37 or 40 written in the book. 
that's what people resonate with. They're like, oh my gosh, that's how I feel, you know? So that was really personal. I have some success stories in there as well. But again, it was just my journey of, oh my God, I can't find anyone to help me. So I had to help myself. That's the only reason I became the subject expert. But that goes to show you, you better keep persevering. If you've got a disease someone diagnosed you with, then I hope you become an expert in it because you are not going to be able to give your health to an MD's hands and expect Mm -hmm. them to fix you. And that is what you know, and I know, and everyone who's gone through something like this knows. You can go to all the experts. You can throw millions of dollars at a a problem and still not get it solved. You can't get away from knowing it yourself because there's something about it you might know that'll help your doctor help you. So that's really what I learned, and that's really what I'm here to preach and coach about. Well, you know, I can guide people and help people with their doctors, et cetera, and I do. It's also about educating people because, look, you may have a great doctor now, but what if they retire? Then what? What are you going to do 20 years from now? Right. Well, I think with a lot of people and a lot of you know the clients, I'm sure you run into this as well, and maybe it's also why you wrote your new book, is that people lack the confidence to take the information that they know or what they're feeling about their own body and take it as like truth. Like they second guess themselves. And I think so much of that is rooted in a lack of confidence. In your new book, you say something, I, I love this. It's like in the beginning, but you say that like confident as fuck is a term that encompasses self-esteem and confidence because they, essentially they're not the same. Some people with high self-esteem have low confidence and some people with high confidence have low self-esteem. Tell me a little bit more about that. Cause for me, I was like, Oh my God, I think that's me. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. So a perfect example of that, I'll go both ways. So the person who has high self-esteem but low confidence is the person who I overheard last year at an event who has a PhD. She really knows her shiz. She mm-hmm. really does. And I overheard her talking to someone and she said, you know, the thing is, is like, the problem is, is like, I really know my stuff, but I'm just not confident. Mm-hmm. So she's confident in her ability or her knowledge of a thing, but she's not confident in putting it out to the world. That's mm-hmm. different. So she's having trouble with the speaking up and the the self-promotion of mm-hmm. her knowledge, okay? Mm-hmm. so But she's got self-esteem, right? Now there's the other person who's got confidence but no self-esteem. And, um, right. Well, I have a really great example in the book of it, but uh, and this goes to show you, you know, listen, you could be on stage talking to 50,000 people, seems extremely confident, and you get off the stage, your relationships are a mess, you can't speak up, and you're shy or whatever else. This happens too. And right. so one of the examples of that in my book is this guy, John, who He's an anesthesiologist, very confident profession. You are, people will die if you don't do your job right. Right. You're putting people to sleep for like heart surgery, okay? Like you're putting needles in people's necks. I mean, come on, right? Like he's super confident in that. He's also good looking and he's fit, super confident there. He also is a spear fisherman. This is one of the most badass sports you can possibly imagine. It's one of the most dangerous sports in the world. You go five miles out in the ocean. You have to learn to hold your breath for like pretty much four to five minutes. You spear a 150 pound sea creature. And then you're like literally getting seasickness at the top of the water, wrangling the sea creature to the surface. Okay. This is like a 3000 calorie burn a minute (laughs) sport. Okay. Like this is really, and you're, you're in the middle ocean with sharks, it's freezing. Okay. Great confidence there. So this guy appears to be like, wow, the ultra confident person, but he can't talk to his damn neighbor about something simple, Mm. you know? And, and, and that exact example, I have the whole conversation in the book, but essentially his neighbor, who's very nice and who he liked was cleaning his, uh, cleaning his house. And John had just finished cleaning his house and he was like, he's going to get stuff all over it. Like, what if I have to clean my house again? You know, he's, he's having these like fake arguments and false. And then I said, well, why don't you just go over there and say, 
hey man, I see that you're cleaning your house. I just cleaned mine. Is there any way your workers could put up a tarp or, you know, kind of protect it? And he's like, well, well, that seems really simple. I'm like, it is. Uh-huh. What are you afraid of? And he's like, well, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm afraid he's going to think I'm a jerk. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. But you like the neighbor. He's been nice. So what? So again, this guy's a people pleaser. He doesn't right. say things he feels because he's afraid of what other people think of him. So he has these confident abilities, but yet he's so insecure. He can't speak up in relationships. He can't speak up to his neighbor. That's not confidence. Right. That's not confident as F. So again, you know, warning to everyone out there, if you think someone's truly confident, you have to look at how they're really acting with interpersonal relationships and, uh, and, and their communication outside of these things, these abilities they're confident in. So, you know, this is not about pontificating confidence and going out there and pretending to be. Anybody can act as if confident. Right. Performance confidence is totally different. And I'm not suggesting that in the book. Listen, I can perform in front of a million people and and not have a problem. That's not what this is about because some of the quietest people in the room are actually the most confident. And the people that are the loudest often are the most insecure. So this is not about bragging. You know, if you feel like, we all know that person who's like, they're dropping names or they're bragging and they feel like they've got to prove something. Yeah. Does anyone look at that person in the room and go, wow, they're amazing? No, we look at them and go, oh God, feel bad for you. This is really uncomfortable because it's kind of gross when we witness that happen because Uh it is so weak. It's so weak. Yet the guy over there in the corner who's quiet, who everyone's like, oh, poor guy, he's alone in the corner of the party. No, that guy's confident as F. He's just chilling, observing. He's got no problems. He's comfortable in himself by himself. That's confident as F. So again, I don't want people to confuse. There's a, the confidence can be gained without being an extreme extrovert, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that so many people struggle, especially nowadays with like social media and everything so visible. People see people, right? Like on stage or at the show, you know, there's so much like, oh, look at them. They can go on Instagram and do the videos or show their body. And like, and like, they're so confident. I wish I had that. And I love because you're kind of demystifying it. And you're right. In the book, it's not about how to show face, but really do the inner work. And part of that is reparenting ourselves. And I love that. I think that that's, you know, because even if let's say we had like best case scenario childhood, which, you know, not everyone does. There's still so many things that our parents, you know, like they made mistakes. They didn't know like psychology 101, <laughs> like in the, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s. And so what do you mean by repairing ourselves? Can you tell our, like the listeners a bit about how would someone, what's an instance of like reparenting? Sure. I'll, I'll give two that, that really hit me. So I call it parental garbage mm-hmm. that it's like scraping off the barnacles on a boat. And that's, that's really what the book's about. It's like, here's all the things you kind of got to do and think about. Before you even think about becoming kind, you know what I mean? Like these are the sort of stages of things you have to go through. And so let me give a great example. Brandon in the book is a great example. So Brandon's in his forties now, uh, but when he was growing up, look, lovely household, no one wanted for anything, middle-class, middle-upper class, maybe Uh, no one got abused, uh, seemingly lovely. No one was, you know, it was just kind of like a normal existence. No one had any quote trauma from it. Right. But Brandon's dad would do something, would always kind of pull these moves, which is like, let's say Brandon's dad uh, misplaced the hammer. He'd go around blaming Brandon for it. Like, I know you stole it. Where is it? Even though Brandon didn't. And he'd be like, I didn't take it. I didn't take it. I don't know where it is, right? Uh So he'd always be getting blamed for something that went wrong or something that went missing. And then like his dad would find the hammer and never apologize for it, right? Uh So this kind of stuff went on and on. Now, cut to Brennan's trouble with confidence in life was in his work sphere. He's a contractor, so he works on projects. And what would happen? Something would always go wrong that wasn't Brennan's fault, and he'd be patronized and yelled at in front of everybody by the person in charge. And this kind of kept happening. 
Now, first of all, those types of personalities, these these bullying types of personalities, they will seek you out like a seek-heating missile, okay? So that's the other, like bullies know exactly who their proper targets are. They know. And so Brandon had already been a target and not spoken up, so he kept getting it. Finally, I'm talking to Brandon and I go, hold on a minute, Brandon, this doesn't happen to me, Betty, Joe, Bob, like we're not better employees than you. So what is it about you that keeps attracting experiences where you're patronized and you're always wrong? What happened? Did anything happen in childhood where you label? We go back to the child. He tells me the story. I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Bingo. That's it. So the first part of that was getting him to realize he didn't have to be wrong. This was just a self-fulfilled prophecy, repeating a pattern from childhood that is not healthy, but that is familiar. We do that. That's classic psychology. This is why the baby who's abused that's screaming is being pulled away from their mother from Child Protective Services is still reaching out for the mother crying, right? Why would a baby be reaching out for the mother crying even though that mother is hitting them? Well, because that's just what they know. It's safe, right? It's all they know. So we went through this. He really realized where it was coming from. And then the next order of business was getting Brandon to the point where he could speak up to this patronizing boss on the next project. And the next time something wrong happened and this guy blew up at him in front of everybody, he was prepared to say something to the effect of, hey, I'm not going to be spoken to in that tone until you can talk to me in a professional manner. I'm out of here. I'm going to leave this job right now. Now, don't do that if you need to put food on the table the next day. But Brandon had prepared himself financially and emotionally to be able to walk out on a job because he needed to speak up. So he did. And what do you think happened? Well, you know what I thought would happen. When you call a bully on their shit, they acquiesce. They don't even know what to do. They succumb because no one ever does it because no one ever challenges them. And so we did. They cowered and they were like apologized and it didn't happen again. I cannot even tell you. I wish I could bottle Brandon's enthusiasm and amazing like, and you could tell it was almost like, it. look, that was an uncomfortable moment. He was shaking inside when he had to speak up. That's not, that's not comfortable but it was going to keep happening. You're going to keep getting the same challenge unless you overcome it. That's just, I don't care what you believe in, universe, God, right. aliens, right. doesn't matter. It's just going to happen. You're given certain challenges. You've got repetitive things happening that keep bothering you. If you don't cross that bridge, it's never going to go away. So he finally stood up, so proud of himself, so excited. Nerves were rattled, but just was, ju- you could just see how much it fueled his self-confidence, self-esteem that he yeah. finally stood up for himself. And then what happened after that? Every contract that he got with a new person Nothing went wrong. Everything was amazing. People would call him after the job and go, oh my God, everything was so smooth. We loved working with you. Complete opposite of all of the years and decades leading up to that. Wow. Now, usually what happens is, is you'll, you'll master a challenge like that and you'll, you'll overcome it. You might get a tester. You might get a tester though. You know, it's almost like you'll get a testing situation. They'll be like, are you really over it? Did you actually, <laughs> did you actually do it? And he did. He got a little tester on one of the projects he worked on. And you know what? He, he spoke up. And again, every single time would call me so proud of himself. Why? Because it feels good. Why? Because you're inherently confident. We have primal instincts that are about self-protection that are positive. When you don't honor them, you're lying to yourself and you're not being authentic. Truly. Now, like I say in the book, I'd rather get my self-esteem punched than my face. Don't speak up when you're about to get your ass handed to you by someone. I mean, you know, you got to gauge the situation and the audience. You don't want to be in a dangerous situation maybe and speak up if you think you're going to get punched or something like that. But of course, aside from extreme examples. So that's a really good thing. Like, and how do you detect that? Well, what in your life keeps happening that's a theme that you don't like? You keep attracting the same type of woman you don't like. You keep attracting, you know, a, a job scenario. You keep getting fired. What is it? There's something 
in your childhood possibly that was a label put on you or a story that you keep perpetuating and you just need to dig a little in there. The other example I talk about in parenting yourself and Brandon had to do a little bit of that, which is I met a woman that was like 50 years old and we're talking and she was obviously very embarrassed and ashamed at her lack of success in life and perhaps where she was in life, Uh, especially the people that were around her, which were, we were all much more quote, successful. You know, I I look at success as happiness. So I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom, you can be successful. But you know what I'm saying? In the general theme, this person felt, I think, a little bit embarrassed and the need to justify their situation. So they were talking about how they kept blaming their mom and they kept saying, well, you know, if my mother had just encouraged me more and put a spark under me, I'd probably be somewhere different now, you know? And she just kind of kept harping on this. And I said to her, I said, well, hold on a minute. You're 50 years old. So At what point in your life, how old were you when you kind of realized maybe your mom wasn't the best? Maybe she wasn't the best at encouraging or these things that you think she failed at. When did you kind of figure that out? She goes, I don't know. Maybe when I was like 30, I really kind of realized, you know, my childhood and what had gone on. And I said, okay, so you've had 20 fucking years. Mm. You've had 20 years and you're still blaming your mom. Mother Mm. yourself. Seriously, Mm. we have to. No one's going to do it for you. And then you know what she's doing? She's perpetually allowing her mother to continually dictate her life. It's really, look, I would love to not take self-responsibility and blame everyone. For everything. Right. <laughs> Seems a lot easier, doesn't it? But right. so now what she's done is she's kind of made that mother right. She's made that lack of parenting correct. She has owned it and now used it. And this is her excuse in life. And she'll go to her grave going, you know, I could have been something, but my mother just didn't, didn't raise me though. Oh my God. Right. Your victim application has been denied. Right. Sorry. There, are no, there, there are no victims, only volunteers. That's like true. Book. Right. And here's the thing. I want to clarify that because people are like, well, you know what? I, I didn't ask to get mugged down the subway L. Like, yeah. And right. also I didn't ask to get hypothyroidism and a hand disability. So look, anyone could be a victim of something or a circumstance. Right. But my argument is if you keep getting mugged down the subway, <laughs> like, you know, if this keeps happening to you, you keep getting health problems or you keep getting fired from a job, then you need to look at you. You're the common denominator. Something has to change. And we have to take self-responsibility. Nobody is going to pep talk you. No one cares more about you than you. Nobody. So if you don't do it for yourself, again, I still I see people that are older blaming their parents. They're like, well, it's different. You know, you had a different childhood. I was raised, uh-uh. No, parent yourself. We have to. Right. I mean, there's such a spectrum of like different trauma. And I think that, you know, people like I always say your trauma is valid no matter what it is whether it's horrendous or just something that's like happening in your own head however I agree that everyone has the power to overcome things I mean some of the people that I know in my life that are like near and dear and close to me and have overcome like horrible things that you're like oh my gosh like I don't know if I could do that it would break me but people are resilient you know like we have to like dig down and like find that grit which I think is like Grit. I love grit. And I feel like it's something that's that's lacking in a lot of people today. You know, when you look at history, like think of World War II and the stories we would hear and the kind of heroes we used to have. Like people were tough, man. You know? You and I wouldn't be able to vote if women right. didn't stand up at some point and speak up. Right. right? And go Black to the, people would have rights, right? right? So people have to speak up. You never get anything in life unless you do. And it's important to have this ability from the bedroom to the boardroom. I don't care what you're into. You're just not going to get it unless you speak up and you're able to communicate, right. you know? And, you know, my grandmother 
was like the, she was confident as fuck. There's, she really was, but she was in a time where, you know, she'd be reading books and her father would say, you better get your head out of the books. No man's going to want you. You better learn how to cook. Okay. I mean, this is how she grew up and she, she was like, Oh, watch this mofo. (laughs) She really, (laughs) no, she really did. And here's the thing. It was not about proving him wrong. It's about what I call proving yourself often. Awesome. My grandmother was like, well, I don't care. And her mother slipped money to her under the table. She went and got an education, became the youngest female attorney in the state of Illinois and was part of about 10 women in Illinois who helped get a law passed that allowed women to serve on juries. She could get a law degree, but she couldn't serve on a jury. There's an old movie, black and white movie called 12 Angry Men, and it's all about these jurors on a case. And they were men because women weren't allowed. What if my grandmother hadn't been like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not taking that and then didn't go with those other women? I mean, so again, talking about history, right? And so what are you leaving with your daughters and the people around you? How are you as a woman or a man? Doesn't really matter. This is the book for everybody. But you know, I'm just talking about women's rights right now, right? It's applicable to everything, though. So I would take that charge. Like the people, we erect statues to those types of people, you know. And so it is important. And what kind of impression you need confidence to share your story with the world? You might be out there or share your art. You could be a painter at home, but don't have confidence to get out there and promote yourself. Well, no one's going to come up to your door and go, "Wow, what beautiful paintings! Let me buy one." Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we're all capable of amazing things and it's having, yeah, being, having the confidence, um, which uh, to do it. And I love it. I love the way that the, the book is laid out in these kind of short stories, almost like you're talking about these characters and that's how the book is. And I think people, I love that because empathy, right. When we can empathize with a story and really connect with it, we're like, Oh wow, that's me. Or I do that. And seeing the solution play out, I think it's, it's not like anything I've read before. Cause you know, I've read the other ones, like the girl wash your face or like, there's, you know, Mm -hmm. like you are a badass. And I found them very kind of like, Like, what am I supposed to super? And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like kind of generic, like rah, rah cheerleader stuff. But I love it. It's so actionable and it's, it's just, it's really well done. And that's how I resonate too, you know, and that's why I wanted to tell detailed stories in the paleothyroid solution as well, and not just make it about presenting the science. But, you know, I love self-help books. I love self-examination, but some of these books are very like filled with acronyms or to-do lists. And it's like, no, no, give me, give me like a real life thing I can sink my teeth into. And as you've said, and as you read in the book, you go, ah, mm, okay, I've been Uh there. I've been uh there. I I, I see where I need to clean up Uh, (laughs) because they're real stories about what we go through and how we perceive life and confidence and other things like being a downer and all that kind of stuff. And so that's really what I wanted to do. And I'm really glad that, that you, you feel that way because that was the intention. Yeah, it's, it's great. And yeah, I love it. So in the book, you also talk about shame and that's something that it's funny because I have a t- my sisters and I um, have a term for it. It's in Spanish, but we essentially call it like the scolded child feeling. Where like <laughs> even as an adult, you get like you get that knot in your throat, and like you feel like your mom's yelling at you when like you're triggered by something. Because it's true, like the way you talk about like the childhood patterns kind of resurfacing into adulthood. And you write about your disability in the book, and you make a parallel between the disability and like the shame that you felt because of that, but also how shame in and of itself is kind of disabling. You know. So tell us more, Al. Yeah. So last year at Paleo FX, I did a speech called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame, because the shame about my disability was more disabling than the physical disability itself. (laughs) And um, I really want to impress upon your audience right now this thing, because there are no woulda, coulda, shouldas. I don't have any regrets per se. I really wish I would have dealt with this sooner because it crippled like a couple decades of my life. (laughs) So I was already extremely confident in a lot of ways. 
And when I was 22, I got this incredible job where I was like the seventh person hired at a company. The company exploded. Next thing you know, I've got my own office. I've got a set of Armani suits. I'm making six figures. I'm more successful than any other 22-year-old I know. And my next promotion is going to be for a quarter of a million dollars. I am like, oh yeah. In fact, I was planning on applying to law school and I was at the time. And I thought, forget that. I'm already making more than a starting lawyer. Screw it. I'm going to keep going here. I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 35. I'm going to have a house and like 15 Porsches in the driveway, like (sighs) stoked. So stoked. I mean, I saw, and that was my plan from the beginning, right? Like get a ton of money so that you can just, you know, be safe and protect yourself and, and, and live this great life. So I was on track for that until one day my arm stopped working. And this was just, at first I thought, oh, this is temporary. Like some doctor will figure this out. This is weird. Then it didn't go in that direction. I had chronic tendonitis and tendinosynovitis throughout my both of my hands and arms leading up to my neck. I could not wipe myself. I could not hold a fork to my mouth. I couldn't cook. I could not hold my boyfriend's hand. My arms went numb every night. I could not sleep on my sides. I still can't, but I've healed a lot over 20 years. So I just want the audience to know I'm not in chronic pain 24-7 anymore, but I still have the issue, meaning I do have to absolutely regulate how I use my hands. Now, if you're listening and you don't have a hand issue, you've probably adjusted your hands 1,500 times already during this conversation. It's a hand-based world. I couldn't get a job at Starbucks. I can't be a waitress. I can't work a cash register. So if you are in a wheelchair, but you have the use of your arms, you have more job opportunities than me because this is a hand-based world. Now, I also have something you can't see, which was a little bit of a crutch for me in a variety of ways. So when you have something you can't see, it's hard. It doesn't matter if it's rheumatoid arthritis or whatever it is, because people don't understand it. They ask questions about it. They can't see it. So they're kind of like um, sometimes disbelieving. And that's not a position when you're disabled and you have an affliction of any kind. You just kind of learn, you know what? I might as well just shut up about this because I don't want any, I just don't want any heat, you know, from anybody. I don't want people to question me. So here I am at 22 and I had to leave my job. And and I'm sitting there going, oh my God, like my arms are dead. They're inflamed. I'm 20, you know, I'm so young and my life is just about to start. I have this great future. And then it just comes crashing down. And my first thought of horrible shame, which is really a sense of unworthiness was I was sitting in my apartment in San Francisco at the time. And I thought to myself, oh my God, who's going to ever want me? Who is going to ever want to date me. I have dead arms that don't work at 22. I can't even get myself together in the morning. How can I cook, clean, or be a mother? I know what it, I've worked with kids most of my life. I know what it's like to get a kid ready for school. I mean, I, and here I was just sitting there going, oh my God. And I thought, well, I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't know that I would choose a guy who had dead arms at 22 either. I don't know that I would choose that either. So here I am sitting there going, oh my God. And then actually I had an accidental thought of gratitude at the time, in hindsight, when I look back, which was, I said, all right, well, my arms may not work, but at least I have them. You know, it's, it's a little bit of that game of like, well, someone has it worse than you. Right, <laughs> you know right. I mean? but, but again, when I look back in hindsight, that was probably my first like legit feeling of like, okay, well, what can I see that's positive here? Well, at least I have them even though they don't work. So then of course I went through every modality to try to heal it. And then I was out of work, not using my hands eight plus hours a day. So I was able to heal over time. I still have the issue. Like I said, it's been 20 years, but again, I can go play a game of tennis with you, but I'm not going to be on the tennis league. And I'm probably going to do it more than once a year. You know, I could throw a Frisbee with you at a picnic, but you know, not every day, or I could throw that Frisbee, but then I rest. So I don't have to like jump back on a computer and screw up my hands. So I can still do things with my hands. I swim. And in fact, keeping in shape and keeping healthy is really important to my disability because I will get more flare-ups if I don't stay healthy and aligned and all of that. 
So what happened was in the way that it disabled my life is that I was confident in all these areas, but it screwed me up in romantic relationships and friendships. So here's what would happen. I would date a guy and I would be so embarrassed and ashamed of telling anybody my story. I thought I'd be like, I could be a financial liability. You know, I had long-term disability at the time, but it was like a preschool teacher's salary. And I had obviously wanted to make more money in life. And I had debt racked up already. Cause again, who thinks they're going to get disabled at 22, right? I'm making six figures. So I had racked up some debt I had to pay off. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I could be a liability to someone. They might not want me because I can't really take care of a household. Like we need to be really wealthy and have help, right? You know, I can't really play that traditional role. And so I wouldn't tell them. I would kind of almost have this internal dialogue of, well, let me wait to see if like they express that they love me or we get close enough and then I'll tell them. And so this went on for a while and my friends and family who knew about it would be like, I don't know what you're ashamed of. It's not your fault. And I just want to say this. It doesn't matter if it's your fault. You could have killed someone in a drunk driving accident 20 years ago, paid the price, and you're still guilty about it. Okay. You could have been a drug addict and you're not proud of the behavior you exhibited when you used to be on drugs. Or you could have an unsightly mole on your back and be embarrassed of that. It doesn't matter what you're ashamed of. It's that whatever you're thinking you're going to be rejected or judged by by society and that makes you feel somewhat unworthy, that's what you have to get to the bottom of. You don't have to do a chapter or a Facebook Live, but you must get straight with that. Do you know what I'm saying? Because right. it will cripple you. And so here's the other thing too. People are very well-meaning, but when you say to someone who's got intense shame, like you shouldn't be ashamed or no one's going to care or people will love you the way they are and you shouldn't worry about it, it's kind of like telling me that I'm ridiculous for experiencing it. So then you mm. stop kind of sharing that too. And it becomes a very lonely world that no one understands. And so it really came to a head and kicked my ass. About seven years ago, I was in a relationship with someone for a year, met their kids. We were together all the time. Really just no question in my mind that I was going to marry this guy. Wonderful person. But the only thing about him was that he was kind of an emotional robot. Like he was, he was very kind of professional with me. He wouldn't really like, like he'd show me that he loved me, but he couldn't speak words. There was no words of affirmation or appreciation. And after time, you have to have verbal emotional intimacy with right. someone, right? And so I started to get that choked up feeling in my throat, which by the way, when you get that feeling, hello, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that's the feeling. And I got this choked up feeling because I couldn't speak. I never told him about my disability. We end up breaking up over this. And I call my coach and I'm like sobbing, crying. And I'm like, this feels like such a cruel joke by the universe. Like here, I do all this work on myself over these years. And I find this perfect guy. He's great. But the one thing that's not good about him is kind of a big deal breaker. Like this seems like such a cruel joke. Like, you know, the one thing is an emotional robot. My coach said something very harsh and true. He said, El, did you tell him about your disability and your story? I said, no. He said, well, then how the hell did you expect to attract someone who is emotionally available? You're the robot. Right. What did you expect? If you want to attract someone who's open and vulnerable and available emotionally, you have to be. And right. I lost it, Christina, because, oh, <laughs> damn it, me. Right. Damn it. Like I had done all this stuff. I read all these books. I had done everything to try to attract the perfect relationship and the greatest guy. And again, I can't tell you one thing that's wrong with this guy to this day, seven years later. I still like literally not one thing except for that, but that's a big thing. And so I was like, oh shit. And here I am. I'm confident in every area of my life. And, but here's the thing. I wasn't confident as fuck because it wasn't all encompassing. And if you think you can brush some shame under a rug over here and not have it affect other areas of your life, you're going to get your ass handed to you like I did. So I was like, okay, well, 
that's my ultimate goal. I want to be married. I want to have a relationship. I've got to get past the shame. Like I have got to deal with this. I've got to be more vulnerable. I have to be more open. So I started with some friends and people that I hadn't told that I had become friends with. And this is another way it affected me. I always stayed on the outskirts of groups and relationships because again, if anyone got to know me too well, they'd find out like how I made my money. I didn't like anything associated with the word disability. I didn't, I'm an alpha female. I didn't want to be seen as weak. You know, there were all of these things where I was just hiding this in the background. But what I realized is that these people who had befriended me were open and vulnerable and awesome with me, Christina. And you know, I'm not sharing it back. And what kind of friendship is that? Because it's like, well, you don't really know me, so I can't really trust you. Because if you find out this thing about me, well, you know what? Enough. So I said, okay, I'm going to tell some friends. And at first it was hard. I could not even tell the story I'm telling right now, even just like three years ago without choking, sobbing to anybody. Like it's so freeing now I could talk about, I have no shame about my shame, but it was debilitating. It started there. And then I realized, okay, whoever is going to be with me is going to have to accept me for this. I'm just going to right off the bat. I'm just going to start to tell people, you know, like this is how it's going to go. But what I want to share about this that's really amazing is this part of the story. So a couple of years ago, I was talking with a fellow podcaster, Karen Martell, and I had already known that I needed to move through life and just start to tell people. And we're talking and she said, hey, you know, you do all of these things, like what's your main source of income? And even though I get extra money from the books and all the stuff I do, that's sort of like my base salary is still the disability. And I had this thought in my head real quick where I said, I can keep up this shame charade or I can just practice it now and just tell her the story. So I told her the cliff notes of the story and this was her response. She said, oh my God, Elle, that is what happened to me. My hands were permanently injured because I was a body worker for 15 years. She was a rolfer. It's a very intense, you have to like really intense form of like, not massage, but like intense body work. And she said, and I ruined my hands and that's why I'm a health coach and and became a podcaster. She said, the funny thing is, is I always wanted to be a health coach. I just didn't think it was realistic, but you know, the universe cut the golden handcuffs off of her. That's what happened to me. I always wanted to be a performer, writer, actor, but again, I didn't think it was realistic. So that's why I wanted to go to law school and do something that was just like set in stone, right? Uh And the universe cut the golden handcuffs off of me and put me into my dreams. So then after that, I'm like, literally I cried after that phone call. I'm like, what are the odds that the first kind of stranger that I open up to about this has a hand disability? (laughs) Like really? That's the universe talking for sure. That's the universe talking that I'm in the right direction. So then this happened a couple of weeks later. I'm interviewing this woman on our podcast. Uh, her name is Jeslyn Moyer, and she's uh, the host of Ever Talk Live, and she's a model. And someone said, you should interview her. She has a really interesting health story. And I didn't know what it was. I just figured I'd find out on the podcast. So we're talking, and I had to put my microphone on mute because I started sobbing because this is what Jeslyn said. She's like, I had a freak accident that led to severing nearly every nerve that went to my left hand, every nerve and tendon. I woke up after eight hours of emergency surgery and I could not feel my left hand. And her first thought was, oh my God, am I ever gonna feel a guy put a ring on my finger? Very similar to my shame thing. It's very like, who's gonna want me? Because in that instant that you're disabled, this goes for anyone that's kind of like instantly disabled, you know, Um, well, whether it took some time to get there or not. But you know, when you have an instant moment like that, you are now suddenly different than the rest of society. You are now suddenly disabled. You are defective. It is this awful feeling. It's an awful feeling. I have so much compassion for people that are disabled or have health issues. And I'm glad because both of those issues, the disability and the, and the hypothyroidism brought me to a level of empathy and compassion. I probably wouldn't have had as the badass in the suits in San Francisco who thought I was hot shit. Right. So I'm glad I got brought down to earth on that one because right. I probably needed a little bit of that too. And you know, 
that moment was like, wow, it's only been a couple of weeks and I'm opening up and I've run into two women with permanent hand disabilities that you can't see. Holy shit. Like if anyone's listening and they're like, nah, come on, man. Like I, you can't even write that. Like I did in the book. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, so that really let me know that I was on the right path. And suddenly I felt less alone. I had two people I could talk to about this. I don't know a lot of other people with hand disabilities, you know? And so it was just like the best thing that ever happened to me. And I want to say this too, which I say in the book is that the best gifts in life come wrapped in shit. I know you feel that way about your journey. You know what I'm saying? And so you got to give it a minute while we stop, we have to stop being shit magnets in life and need to Uh clean up the barnacles of parental garbage and being a downer and all the stuff I talk about in the book. If you're harboring shame in any kind of way or embarrassment about who you are, you need to get good with that. I don't care if it's with a coach or a therapist or a free forum online group, whatever it is. And it doesn't mean you have to even tell a person you're with. Maybe something is better left unsaid for life. That's okay. As long as you are good with it. And Mm -hmm. so I really impress upon people to get there because it debilitated and prevented me from having relationships that I probably could have. And now no longer, and no woulda, coulda, shoes, of course, I don't, you know. But at the end of the day, I don't want people to go through 20 years of this. So when I spoke at Paleo FX last year, this girl came up afterwards and she was like 26 and she said, she was crying. And she said, you know, I didn't even know who you were. I just saw that there was a speech starting and I had no idea what the topic was. And she said, I sat down. And the reason I'm crying is because when I was 19, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and none of my friends understand. And they're all having fun and partying and everyone's constantly asking you questions. And it just gets, it's just like what you said, Elle. And she said, and I thought that I had really dealt with some of the shame that I had felt around it. But I realized after hearing you speak that I've got a lot of work to do. Uh-huh so great that I affected her. Now, if you know someone in your life that's debilitated by a health issue, uh, which is a disability or a, like actual permanent physical disability, they're probably not talking about it. And it might behoove you t- to be the friend or the person who can say, hey, do you have any shame and embarrassment around this? Like I just heard this chick talk about this or help people open up. Be that friend that understands and just doesn't say, well, there's nothing to be ashamed about. No one's going to care. That is just discounting someone's shame. So that's the other thing I'm offering. If you have someone in your life like that, they're probably harboring, harboring some shame and embarrassment about it. And, and it's, they're keeping it inside maybe, you know, and I even didn't talk to my hand surgeon about it. I haven't gotten surgery, but I go to a hand surgeon for medical paperwork and like cortisone shots every year or two. And I broke down a couple of years ago to him and started crying. And it was just, honestly, I'm so glad I did. It was an amazing conversation. His heart was incredible. And he knows, he said, you know, El, listen, the patients that I have in wheelchairs, if they know that if they lose the, their hand abilities, they're finished, they're finished. So it's a real thing, but the shame is going to kill you, not the disability. Right. And he was so right. And so, you know, while I live a good life now, I still have it. There are moments where I don't like that I still have it. You know, I mean, there are moments where I wish I could do more things or use my hands more. But again, it led me to the life of my dreams, a gift wrapped in shit. And here's the interesting thing. So my first disability of the physical, of the the arm disability led me to solving the second disability, the hypothyroidism, because I had the time to research and rest and solve my problem because I didn't have to work nine to five. So one disability led to solve the other disability. And then leading to Mark Sisson in the book, 
he gave me a platform for my voice that led back to me helping solve the conundrum of what am I going to do with my life now? But 20 years ago, I said to myself, I've got my voice. And that's what embarked me on a journey of, you know, doing voiceovers and joining SAG after union and being on television and film. And then it led me to being a writer. Who would have thought I would have been a writer with broken hands, right? Like no one would have thought of that, you know, and I've been using voice recognition software for a long time. And now you can just dictate things into an MP3, get it transcribed. And then, you know, I can still use my hands and I still do use the computer. I just can't do it eight hours a day like most people. Right. And so this led me into th- these horrible things, led me into the life of my dreams. That's amazing. And I Give love- it a minute. Like, give it yeah. a damn minute. <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm, when you were suffering with welts and all right. of that stuff, you did not foresee right. what life it could have meant for your life. Yeah. But I love your story and how it's really of a, such a wonderful example of that when you're like the, you know, being confident as fuck, but like that encompasses being, you know, doing the internal work, healing past trauma, being vulnerable, but also that when you're living your truth, how the universe aligns, like, and you're like, it's so, I love it. What a wonderful story. I can't, I mean, everybody listening, you have to get Elle's book. When does it come out? Well, it's already out. Oh my God, it's already out. out. Yeah, it's been out for a couple of months. I mean, it's fairly new, but you can go on Amazon and type in confident as fuck. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, it's Kindle and print. And yeah, just go to Amazon or you can go to lrust.com. And by the way, for anyone suffering with thyroid stuff, yes, buy my book. That's great. But I also made a free thyroid guide. It's just a tab on my website. You click it. It tells you every test you need to get, how to vet a doctor. Because here's the thing. I spent thousands of dollars I didn't have going to all these stupid effing doctors that were uninformed and it killed me. And so I'm all about free information. So that free thyroid guide will really get you on the right path. Of course, you can always coach with me or buy my book, but really that's what that's there for. So that you know how to arm yourself moving forward. And tons of podcasts with me talking about thyroid. You can learn so much by just listening to me talk about it. So that's all out there and that's for free. And I just want to mention that on the thyroid side of things. Oh, for sure. We're going to link in the podcast notes. We will link both your books and your website um, and all the places where you can find Elle. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a great talking to you. And I just, incredible, incredible. You're so inspiring. So thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. You as well. And it was so great to meet you and interview you for our show. And I'm looking forward to that coming out as well. Yeah, me too. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Bodywise Podcast. See you in two weeks.